Hi guys, welcome to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on podcast and on YouTube, where we talk about everything that is related to having a fantastic life, where simply drugs and alcohol have no place because you're so busy living a fantastic life. And as part of that, I am constantly learning and I'm doing interviews with some amazing people out there. And today is another interview. Yay! I've got with me Taylor Martin. Taylor is a lady who we will soon learn has quite an amazing story and an amazing background. And like many of the guests I've got on my show, has had to learn the lessons the hard way and then grew from there to be an amazing being now and does all the amazing work that she does now. But I don't want to give away too much. So first of all, welcome Taylor to my show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Ah, it's an absolute pleasure. Taylor, when you were 12 years old, I'm sure one day you went to your mummy and daddy and said, look, one day I'm going to be sitting with this Stefan dude and I'm going to talk about the problems that people have and I will teach them how I can make them better. Yeah. Nah, said, said no 12-year-old ever. <laughs> what did you say when you were 12? What did you plan to do? What was your life like? When I was 12, mm. um, my, my, I, it was really chaotic. My parents hated each other. And so um, there was, and my dad's an alcoholic and my mom also self-medicates. And so my parents were very busy hating each other and creating a toxic environment for each other and also for me. And so 12 was around the age that I realized that I needed to not be around my parents. Like it, it was the age that I shifted from being a kid to being independent minded anyways. And so I was trying not to be at home. That was, that was 12. That's not. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being a little bit younger and a coffee cup flying from the right across there, a, uh, some cocoa powder uh, and the, the packet flying this way and leaving this beautiful trail of cocoa um, going across here. So yes, I've got actually some memories like that well stashed away too. I hadn't thought about it for a long time, but the moment you said that actually, hey, I was straight back there. And that's a bit young to actually suddenly become independent. Uh, and when you when you were saying independent, what did that mean for you? Did you leave home? Did you run away? No, I never ran away. No, I just, it. I made a conscious decision to not depend on my parents as much. So I knew, I knew school was not forever. I knew that adulthood was very soon. I, ha I was, I, I think, I don't know why, that came to my mind so quickly, but I just knew I'll be graduating in six years. This is not forever. I'm not going to involve myself in the, in the mindlessness of being my age. And there are some things that I did that I really enjoyed. I really, like I found cheerleading. I don't know if there's cheerleading in, in New Zealand or Australia, but it was just, like, I it was tried, I tried. It didn't really like my performance. So it's just, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> cheerleading, actually, cheerleading is in in Germany. It is there because we had uh, a huge amount of American soldiers there, and actually, the cheerleading and and American football actually took hold. Um, so, so yes, yes. So you were a cheerleader. Excellent. I was a cheerleader, and I was a cheerleading coach, and I immersed my. I was really involved in my sport, and I was really involved in my school, and and. My parents were around me, but they weren't a part of, like, I, I felt that they were separate from me. And so all, everything was just so that I could turn 18 and, and go. And it was, it, in, in my mind, it was totally fine. My parents were really open about um, 
alcohol. I mean, not obviously, but they weren't the type of parents that said alcohol is bad. They were the type of parents that said, we know you're going to drink, do it around us. And so I never felt the need to do it because I saw it all the time and I saw its dysfunction and I didn't, I didn't really become involved. I didn't absorb that party need until I turned, until I went to college. And then it was all bets. I mean, (laughs) I just dove head in. I was like, give me that bottle. This is my life. And, and it did it. It, Alcohol has always been my life. And I didn't realize it until this year, how it's been just this like thing that's been ever present in every facet of my life, my entire life. It's been my, I'm an only child. It is alcohol is my sibling. Do you know if when you go back in your family, so your mom and dad were were very much using alcohol as a as a tool to deal with their emotions or numb their emotions? Uh, what about uh, going back in the family, uh, grandmothers, granddads, anything like that? Was there always a very wet environment? Yes, um, my cousins and I on my dad's side referred to it as. And it was funny then, we called it the gene. You don't want, like, we are all going to have the gene. Oh, it's a holiday gathering, the gene, the gene. And on my dad's side, my grandfather was in, was a, a bottle a day, very abusive to my dad. My dad drunkenly was sharing memories with me while he was in quarantine of of my grandfather chasing him on a golf course with a... What is this called? An iron. An iron. Golf, yeah. yeah, an iron. Chasing after him as a young man. And, and in my dad's memory, is it's funny, but the reality is that that is how my dad has lived his entire life. And that's how my dad fathered, which was running away and trying to save his own life because he was living in fear. And so on my grandfather's side or on my dad's side, my grandfather is an alcoholic. All of my dad's siblings, I think, except for one was in some kind of abuser. Their grandparents, their grandparents, it's where the gene is strong. The problem of course is to, there's a bit of a fallacy there. Of course you could say it's a genetic predisposition. But you could also say, well, hang on, what are the lessons that I handed down from generation to generation? And if no one ever changes the patterns, then the patterns keep repeating themselves. And if the fist through the wall or the fist in the face is the way that you resolve an argument, then that is what you see and what you grow up to be. So there's probably a good mixture of both things going on there. And yeah, that's, I'm not so far, far off. So your family uh, is certainly not so different from the family that I grew up in. Alcohol was certainly normal. And it's not, it's not an abnormal family for, for many, I think. If you, I've done a lot of story comparisons with people around the world and it's, it's just not talked about. We don't talk about the dysfunction and we don't talk about the choice, the choices that we have to change. We just assume this identity and this victimhood of it. And we think that we have to carry it through generation to generation. And I, I'm in, I'm in my ninth month sober and my dad is an alcoholic who also during quarantine found out he had stage four cancer and also found out during quarantine that he had COVID. And I, because I made a choice to change the story and change my, the way that I exist with other people and the way that I have my relationships, I didn't talk to my parents. I almost got married once almost one time kind of and my parents were not invited to my wedding because just because we share a bloodline doesn't mean that I get, I have to subject myself to pain that's a I don't have to do that I can still love you well and love myself 
and have a healthy relationship. And so at the time, my parents weren't invited. And that created a really big division in my family that turned into this, my aunts felt like they had to attack me to help my dad because that was the only way they knew how to express concern. And so since 2018, I've been getting these really bizarre emails of you are, you are, you are. And it's like when we were saying earlier about like, I, I ha there's nothing I haven't been called. My family is calling me bizarre names, just heinous things that are so manipulative and so abusive just to provoke me to manipulate me to go back to this toxic environment because that's, that's what they know. And so they think that that's what's right. And so being able to step back and view it with compassion, because I understand that that's all they know is really challenging, but it's possible. It's just like, I, I know that you're acting from pain. I know that you're not sober when you're sending me these emails. And I know that this is the only way that you know how, because you are afraid to find another path. But also it take it eats a lot of my pride because I want to, you know, I just want to like, let me see how creative I can get soberly. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit <laughs> how do you deal with this resentment i mean how how can you not respond you are a very bubbly person and i'm sure there is a firehead in you a hothead um and uh exactly exactly right i can reach you like a book you are my sister i can just yeah so how have you learned to to put a leash onto that fiery little monster in there. How do you not respond? How are you not getting angry? Oh, I am. I am getting angry. You know, I don't know how, how it's been for you. Alcohol does everything, you know? Like, I'm angry, I need a drink. I'm tired, I need a drink. I'm excited, I need a drink. I'm... I'm horny. I need a drink. Like it's all these things. Like I always exactly. need a drink. I always need a drink. And, <laughs> and when you don't have that, you just, you feel it or you turn to something else. And I didn't realize that I, I quit drinking, but then I turned to cigarettes and then I quit smoking. And so for a before, a before, before it was a drink and a cigarette. And then it was, a cigarette and then it was oh I just have to feel this anger and that's what I want I want to feel the anger because I I haven't felt angry I haven't felt all of the, the full life is life is this beautiful spectrum of color and chaos and and whatever and I prevented myself from feeling those things fully and if you don't feel those things fully you can't grow from those things fully and I want to be, there's this vision of myself and it's just like the best possible version of myself. And I don't know what she's like, but I know, I know that right now I'm the best version of myself I've ever been. And that's because I gave myself the opportunity to, you know, plummet and feel those really awful feelings. And so every time, and one happened very recently, got this really awful email. It was so awful. And it was my, the day of my eighth month of sobriety. And I was so excited. And then I got this email and I just crumbled and I was his, like sobbing hysterically and feeling really angry. And I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. And I wanted to, I wanted to respond. I spent three hours. I drafted like six emails and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to not, I'm going to not, but there's no way when you're. I knew the whole time, like, there's no way that I can justify myself because they are sending me emails blindly. They don't care. It's not, this is, they're acting out of their own sickness. And so even if their words hurt me, I get to feel that pain. I get to heal that wound. And then eventually that wound will be healed. And then eventually I will become a better version of myself. And that's all I think about it every time. I'm like, Older Taylor is so fucking grateful for this right now. 
you'll be fine. You're not dead. You'll be fine. But it does feel like sometimes you die a little bit on the inside. It does. Wow. Absolute wow. And I could not agree more. It probably, the nine months is probably a good mark. I'm just trying to think when I started actually feeling things again. And yeah, it would have been quite a few months into sobriety and probably around nine months is probably quite realistic. I know it was about six months until I suddenly um, took a bite out of a strawberry and I thought, wow, this is the best strawberry I've ever had in my life. And basically, it took six months until my taste came back from the yeah. vodka haze. And my cooking certainly changed thereafter. Uh, and it is just amazing. It is, we, we are numbing our brain and our senses and our emotions to such a degree. It is, it is actually bizarre and you don't realize it until way down the line. And you, the nine months, congratulations. Wow, Taylor, that is what an achievement. Because the first year is bloody hard. It is so hard. I mean, 80% of alcoholics relapse in the first year. So it is just a, a scary figure. And I think, you know, those of you who are in the first year, there is lapse and then there is relapse. Lapses that you have a drink or five, and then you think you stupid oh, and stop it and that's it. And a relapse is that you within three days, five days, seven days, you're back in, in the depth of your addiction. That's a relapse. Uh, we could we could talk. I will talk probably uh, with in another in another session on relapse because that is such a big such a big topic in its own right, and it would not do you justice because you are are a superhero as far <laughs> as letting go is concerned. I'm still trying to tease out how the hell do you do it? How do you get this conviction to say these tears are there and they are true and they are honest tears because someone else hurt me, but you can step aside, step out of your body and, and see what it really is. I did not learn that until bloody hell, you know, <laughs> way down the line. <laughs> Yesterday. Yesterday, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you, you know, so rewind a little bit. In December of 2018, I asked myself what I thought, what myself would think of my life in 30 years. And the answer was not good. It was, it was shame. It was a regret. It was fear. It was, where did my life go? And so, um, I made several choices. One, one was leaving my partner of five and a half years because we were just, he, he had, he had come out as an alcoholic. That's why he canceled our wedding. He'd come out as an alcoholic and he was struggling in his first five months of sobriety. And I really didn't understand because I was so depressed that and codependent that I just did everything with him. I, I was like, I'll do anything you need to make you come back so that my life can get back in order according to what the rules are. There are rules. I'm at the time I was 31. These are the rules. I'm 31. It's, I'm already too old. I should already be married. I should already have children. We should already be making all these things. We, like the year, all these rules, he broke the rules. And so I'm just like, please, please, please. And I was so desperate to make him love me and come back to me that I quit drinking with him. And I don't know if you've read the letter to the wives in the big book, but the letter to the wives, it's bullshit. The letter to the wives is bullshit. And, and it 
and it did what it was, it was meant to do. And it put me in my place when I, the first time I thought about leaving him, it put me in my place. And it was like, you need to just sit and let him do what he's doing. Even if it is treating you like shit, the way that it's been for whatever, don't you dare stand up for yourself. This man is finding sobriety and you need to sacrifice and make cookies. And I was like, man, well, I'll make cookies. I'll do anything. And so I, in December, I decided that it was time that like for me to honor myself. And I, my partner and I broke up. We sold our home because we did get that off the checklist. We'd bought a home. So we sold our home and I left the United States and I, all of last year I traveled and, um, I traveled with the understanding that I needed to heal my past wounds because there are a lot of them. I've been, I've been raped. I've been brutally assaulted by a, a boyfriend from a very long time ago. I had a very troubling, tra like to me, it was very traumatic childhood. Um, I had an eating disorder for 13 years. I loved Adderall, Vyvanse and Ritalin. And it really, it really messed up my, my brain chemistry. And, and I just had, I had a series of traumas. And so I was healing these traumas. And at one point I just realized that I needed to not be there where I was going. I needed to be right here where I am and being right here where I am, am taught me mindfulness. And so not, I think that's why my sobriety has been challenging mostly in the last two months because of my family trauma, but finding this, it's just today. It's just today. I am not in tomorrow. I'm not in 45 years from now, even though I know that 45 years from now, I'll, I'll be grateful for what I'm doing. It's just today. If I can just feel this, because I don't think that I've ever felt anything like this in this way, because I've never been this version of myself in this moment ever. And I will never be it again. Mm. And it has really helped me make the progress and, and be patient and be compassionate. And I want to say be tolerant, but I'm not necessarily, I don't feel like I'm tolerant of the abuse that I received. I think that I am forgiving or trying to be, trying to be forgiving of it and wanting to learn from it so that I don't become it. Because when we, I feel like when we resent things or when we hold on to them in any way, we have a, the ability to absorb it. And then it becomes a part of us unintentionally. So that's mindfulness, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you have got you've got uh, such a beautiful insight there. Uh, I I needed a lot of work, and I need to be taught how to do that work. For me, it was the 12 steps, essentially. But I had to have someone holding my hand and guiding me through that maze of, of oh, quite conflicting and sometimes very painful exercises to deal with the resentment, the anger, the fear, all these kind of things. You seem to have made this decision on your own behalf and then left the relationship, left the States and went traveling. Did you, did you follow a certain path? Was it there a philosophical path that you chased or was it actually the 12 steps or how did you do in which kind of, how did you break the journey down? And with that, I don't mean the journey now around the world. I mean the journey to the person that you are now, where mm -hmm. did you start? And you made this um, call, enough is enough. What was the next step? I, th I think I started, I, I was a blackout drinker before. And, and it was, I mean, wall, wall, holes in walls and, and passing out in, in cars without doors. And like my ex would have to hold on to my body while I was passed out in his car. And one time I did something so heinous, I still don't know what I did, but I did something so heinous that he wouldn't speak to me for days and an entire wall in our house was missing from me. And 
<laughs> Thank you very much. But the thing about my blackouts was I could drink, I could drink one beer and be blacked out because I was coffee, tequila, Adderall or coffee, Adderall, alcohol. I wasn't eating. And so cigarettes. And so, and this is like in 2000, I had a coin name of 2013 Taylor. Like people know me as like, Oh, that was 2013 Taylor coming out because she was a mess. She was, it was, it was my prime. And I think 2014, I quit taking Adderall in 2015. I started asking, this is where it starts. This is, I think this is where it started. When I quit taking Adderall because I blamed it for my blackouts, not for the alcohol or anything or my pains, I started seeing a therapist and within my, after my third session, I quit blacking out. And so that to me meant that there was something I, there was something in me that was starting to come up. And then I started, I started praying for my life to change. And it was just like very, it was every day. I wish that something drastic would happen so that my life could change so I could be the person that I want to be. And, and in my head, only something drastic could happen. It had to be huge and it had to be earth shattering. I didn't have it in me to make the changes myself. And I think, I think I was so attached to this idea that I am parte. I am the girl that has the show. I am the show and I can't be the show and also be who I want to be at the same time. I didn't understand that there's duality in anything. And when, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, when my fiance canceled the wedding, I had been in a spiral of denial and it was, a 2018 was a really hard year for me. I quit, it was the first time I established boundaries with my dad. I wasn't talking to my mom. I was really, I, all of my, it was almost as if someone took all of my guts and put them right out in front of me. And they were like, what do you, like, like doing your job, but I don't do your job because I'm me and I'm not a doctor. I don't know the part. I don't know the part. Somebody put all my, my shit in front of me and they're like, reassemble yourself. <laughs> so that is quite cool. That is quite cool because what you have been, been really doing is you felt deep inside that things were not right. And you actually managed to seek help in 2014, I think, if I got now the timeline right, the, the counselor, that is a huge step. That is a huge step for you. Well done. So how did you do that? So what what drove you? I mean, the, the mess 2013, uh, Taylor, uh, okay. Obviously, there were so many things, so many painful things that you decided, well, actually, I need to see a psychologist or a counselor. Is I think I, it wasn't 2014. I, it was a slow decline. So 2014, I quit taking Adderall. 2015, I, I quit yes. my job and got a new job. Um, I've always worked with alcohol in some, in some capacity. And so I went from alcohol on the retailer side to alcohol on the supplier side. And I worked for a brewery and that bizarrely and in a twist of fate, it became my, my next step towards healing. And I was surrounded by people who weren't toxic. They just wanted me to thrive. And so I went from 90 hours a week, self-healing, self-medicating to, I could work 90 hours a week, but I could also work 55 hours a week. And it was as long as my, and, it, and they didn't really care. They just wanted me to be well and to do well. And so being around these people, I started meeting more people who were also wonderful because when you shift your environment, good people come with it. And I met a girl, a woman who we were talking about anxiety and I thought I'm just anxious. I'm just an anxious person. I'm a perfectionist. This is just the way that I am. And I like being on, it's like best. It's, it was like the thrill of Ritalin, but I don't, and I don't need it because I just go, 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 go. Like I love this zooming feeling of work, but I told her about the holes in the wall and she was, She's like, you know that that's not the way it has to be. And I was like, that's just the way I am. That's just it. And she's like, no, that's not, that's not it. Therapy, 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 therapy. And I was like, 
that's for people who have problems. I don't have problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, priceless. <laughs> you know, like, priceless. We are all such nutters, you. aren't we? <laughs> I know. They're, that's you. That's not me. That's you. Ugh. So in 2000, I don't know, 16 or 17, I started seeing a therapist. And 16. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that... And I, I, I went to her and I was like, I just need tools in my toolbox. I didn't even, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that it sounded good and that I didn't really want, <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. I was like, just tools in my toolbox. And then when my ex left me, then we started seeing a couples therapist. So I was in personal therapy. We were in couples therapy. I started going to dialectical behavior therapy, which I don't know if your audience is aware of DBT, but dialectal behavior therapy opened my mind and blew it. It just, to think that we have the ability to pause and make a choice, pause, make a choice, pause, make a choice. And I'm explosive. Ask any wall that I've touched in the United States. I'm an, exp- I'm an, you said it, like I am a hothead. I'm an explosive personality. And for me to realize that I could just take a minute, feel, see how I feel. And it, there's part of DBT is just like rate your feeling. And I would realize that I, on a, on a normal day, I function, I was functioning, was functioning at a six. That means that I get to a 10 very quickly. It, that is un, it is not it is not healthy thing about no wonder I was high anxiety yes that's just 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 the way that I am I was just like on edge all the time is everything perfect is everything because being a child of an alcoholic that's a, that's one of our things is everything has to be perfect we have to do damage control constantly because you never know if someone accidentally steps on mom's toe is she gonna freak out if dad falls down on his face or urinates during your cousin's wedding, which happened, who's going to hide? What are we going to do? How are we going to place things to make sure that shit doesn't happen? That's how I was like always. And so then during dialect, so I guess maybe dialectal behavior therapy is how I already knew that I could start pausing and being present. Thank you for asking that. Cause I never, I never backtracked it. Pause, presence, pause, presence. It's amazing. And this is exactly what I do because it is so easy to fly off the handle. It is so easy to respond out of instinct. Now, my instincts are instincts. They are actually very good. But the kind of gut reactions, especially when my gut is completely wrong, um, the kind of anger, the kind of... Uh, immediate response because you think someone attacked you and in reality there was no criticism whatsoever they just asked the simple question but yeah you go and it is it is so easy so to to press the pause button the way you describe it is so beautiful and if you if you trial it guys you out there if you actually try it a little bit you will be amazed how powerful that tool is, how powerful it is. And that's what, what mindfulness is. You actually step outside and, and, and really sort of put, put yourself somewhere up there and look down and, and see what the hell is actually going on here. And then suddenly you, you, you get such an insight and you think, actually, I don't think I need to rip his, his throat out. Um, it would still feel good, but I don't think actually it's the right thing because he might be actually in a lot of pain. And the only thing he does there is, is, is lashing out because that's his level of distress. And if you just were to deescalate and maybe say, come on, you know, it's, it's very stressful here at the moment. Do you want to have a break? for a smoke you know these kind of things whatever it is if this was the workplace you know it is you can suddenly change a scenario tremendously and it's just I remember maybe ah two three months ago 
there was uh, one of our other leaders in, 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 in theater environment came in and she had a go at me. And I looked at her and we have a bit of a love-hate relationship. So I often, in the past, I would have given back to her. And I looked at her and said, I'm really sorry that you feel like that. You shouldn't really be feeling like that. You're the two I see here. And sorry that obviously I, I must have made a mistake here. And I'm, I'm sorry. It completely took the wind out of her, her, her attack. She just stood there, looked at me and said, uh, yeah, yeah, walked away. And several hours later, she came back and said, wow, thank you so much for the way you've responded. And this was actually such a beautiful, humbling experience. I don't know where I got that energy from, where I got that backbone from to not respond, to not let the, the hothead out. But I just, at that moment, I just saw what was happening. It was so crystal clear and it was so beautiful to respond like that. But that takes training. It takes bloody hard work that you that you do that every day, every day. Work on these little things. And, and the good news is it gets easier after a while because you get to inside and you actually, it's like, like going to the gym. You know, you, yeah. you're just working the first time out and you lift, lift bloody a feather duster and your arm hurts you. And then six months later, you're just throwing these weights around and, <laughs> until it is nothing. Uh, yeah, that's the same with this, with the, 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 those muscles up there and or in there, actually, um, where you just need to, to train them as well. Wow. So mindfulness and you, how do, uh, sorry, I, I was not aware of the, the name that you chose. DBT, was that right? Dialectic. It's called Dialectical Behavior Therapy. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. So it's just a different name for, for, for the system that, that I know and actually practice. Oh, cool. So that was sort of the first breakthrough for you to, yeah. to develop. And I mean, that is there you gained a huge head start. Mm -hmm. What happened thereafter? Um, that was before I, December that I went, I went to Israel on my birthright trip and I wasn't raised Jewish, but my mother's side is Jewish. And I was really curious about mm -hmm. my Jewish, Jew, anything really. I, I wanted to explore religion. And so I'm from the Southeast. And if you're not, this type of Christian, then you're not even like different. You're just wrong. And so, <laughs> so it's confusing and it didn't, it never fit. It never, I always thought that I had to fit in some house. And that's just like one of those things that we like start collecting as like humans, like we have to start labeling ourselves. How do I fit in? I need this label. So bullshit. And anyway, so I went to, I really hate labels. And so I went to Israel and I didn't have any of my labels anymore. And so I was in this group of strangers. I wasn't so-and-so's fiance. I really wasn't certain about where I was with my job. I had a real estate practice and I was doing, a, it was doing well considering I wasn't loving it or trying very hard, but I didn't know how to inter introduce myself. And so I was like, I'm just not going to introduce myself. I'm just Taylor. And so we run around the circle and it was the first time I've been just Taylor and just Taylor was everything. Just Taylor was everything. Just Taylor didn't have to sell herself to anybody. She didn't care. I was too, I was too heartbroken to try to, I hadn't been single in such a long time. I was like, these are all these gorgeous men around me. Oh my goodness. But I don't care. And I don't really want to try. So I'm not going to worry about men. There are all these women around me. And I, there are like a couple of women that like really wanted to be my friends and they kind of rallied around me, but I didn't care about what they thought about me, which was the first time in my entire life. And I couldn't talk to anybody from home really because I wasn't using my phone. And so I was just Taylor, not attached to anything. And I cried every day and I laughed every day. And it was, it was like someone just opened my box, which is probably not a good 
not a good metaphor to use, but that just opened up. And <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think we leave that in. <laughs> no, I think the reality is you are so true. You are so right. How does it feel like? To <laughs> okay, start blushing now. <laughs> Look, this laughing, that laughing is so beautiful. You laugh about yourself. You laugh about the 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 not so perfect tailor, the perfectly imperfect tailor, and that is a cool person to meet may i just say uh the perfectly imperfect tailor with all well with all the scars and all the the the, uh, the baggage and having said that you actually you well did you burn the baggage or did you dig it where did you leave it because you are astoundingly baggage free mm, i wouldn't say baggage free i just um i'm real. i just I don't know. I think, I don't know. I, I'm not, it come, there are things that, the, there are things that continue to come up as I'm in my sobriety, but also as I'm healing and with my, as they come up, it, I'm dealing them as a different version of myself. And, and so that different version of myself has different interpretations and there's no one version of any story because there is, our truths change over time our interpretations of things change over time. And so that baggage is still there, but I view it differently. And, and that baggage, every bit of it is, is, has in some way presented an opportunity. And I'm not saying I'm so grateful. I got this shit beaten out of me in Prague to the point that I couldn't breathe. And I was fearful for my life. I'm not happy that that happened. But I'm happy that I was able to take that experience and improve my life eventually. I'm glad that I could grow from it and not that it became it I, because it could have just kept baggage doesn't have to weigh us down. I've been traveling the past year with just one bag. And you know what? It didn't weigh me down. They have wheels. You can put them on your backpack, like whatever. You can go anywhere with your baggage. But when it becomes a weight and it holds you down, that's when it's a problem. Very true. And it is your choice. It is your choice. I mean, we can't just forget our past. That doesn't work. And yes, you will deal with your past at various stages in your life and at various stages in your sobriety. And you think you've done it. And then time passes. And something else happens, which drags back up a different point of your past where you might think damn i thought i had dealt with that yet no uh it there is maybe still some work to be done and i see it in my life as as a reminder that my work is not done that there is still shit from the past that wants to come up and i nowadays have the maturity finally to accept it for what it is. So if I'm the third or fourth time in a row, wake up at four o'clock in the morning, or I have these bizarre dreams of X, Y, and Z, then I nowadays listen up and see that as a, hang on, what's going on here? Is it, have you been doing stupid things? Did you not look after yourself? Did you just burn the candle too many times and you are now you're too too revved up to whatever is it actually just time that you say no until your tongue bleeds to everyone and say everyone just fuck off i need to now time for myself please i need to be just there for me so sorry guys i can't be there for you maybe it's as simple as that and more often than not, that's the case with me. So that's one of the, uh, the things. But sometimes other things come up. Uh, people tell me a story, and out of that story, suddenly 
something comes back. Like earlier on, the, the coffee cup and the, the cocoa coming this way. I had not, I had forgotten about these rows that were there early in my life. And now I have to say, well, maybe that, that coined me and, 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 and set me up for certain other things than later in my life. So it's quite, it's, it's, it's one of these things. We continually grow and we continually have to reevaluate our past, but we don't have to, to pitch tent in the past. And I think that's the, that's, that's the, the, your message that you're saying, yes, I had a horrible past, but that past is not where I live. The past has given me the strength to now explore the new version, the new vision, and your new future. Yeah. yeah. You are, no, this is a bit powerful, powerful girl, man. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. If you could, if you could take a time machine and go back in time and give your younger self a message, what message would you do? I think it... Yes, you can, and you are enough. I think that that's what I would say. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. You are enough, because we're always striving, isn't it? You always want to be more, and you want to, to, oh, oh, hell, how beautiful is that? I was never enough. I always had higher expectations. I always set my goals so high that inevitably I had to fail. And therefore there was this vicious circle, I'll oh, see you failed again, etc. And it is just just crazy the amount of, of boundaries you set in your life. I mean you yeah. had <laughs> but you were it what intrigues me is you had at various stages in your life so much insight, but then you created another cage for you. I'm 31. I have to be that. I have to have a house. I have to have a husband. I children must be now rolling around my feet. And now that you haven't succeeded in that, you were a failure. So where did that cage come from? I was. I don't know. You know. I don't know. I never even really wanted to be. I've never wanted to be married. It's never been a. Fa I was never this little kid that was just like I can't wait to be married. I. It, it, I never cared. And I, I think fear, I think fear, I've, I've, I've never felt like I had a home and I never felt like I was good enough. And I never, and when, when things happened, when I was sexually assaulted, when I was physically abused, when I did all the other things that I did, you know, bad things become our narrative. And so then we're like, well, I'm not good enough to do that. Or I can't do that because I did this. I can't have a happy relationship when I've slept with a married man. That doesn't work. I can't be healthy when I used to be a cigarette smoker. I can't be like, I was so because I used to do that. That was my, I think that's what it was. I think I just, I really clung onto it because I was afraid. I don't know if I was afraid of, afraid of what could happen or afraid of what I would lose. In hindsight, I've lost, a, I've lost a lot, but I don't think that it was bad loss. I think the losing was painful, but I've gained a lot more in its place. And I don't think that I knew that that was possible. I guess sometimes you have to lose a hell of a lot and be stripped down to a bare minimum or to to you naked literally emotionally to then be able to rebuild yourself and to say okay all the other all the all the past was the past but hell i don't want to have anything to do with that 
And I guess that's that's where your journey, literally your journey now, the the nine months uh, overseas, were such an such a great opportunity, such a actually very valuable experience. And of of that experience, the biggest thing I loved to hear was you switched off your phone. You actually didn't have any connections with with your past. You actually completely disconnected and created just Taylor. And how beautiful is that? Just Taylor. <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. So where has just Taylor now developed herself into? What, what, what vision have you have come out or has come out of the woodworks? Where are you working towards? What's the new you? The new me. Mm -hmm. The new me is constantly working towards balance. I, I never had hobbies before or interests as an adult. All I did was drink and work and, um, and codependent. If it were a verb, I did it. And so in the last year, since March of last year, I've healing was healing was my hobby. And then reading became a hobby and then writing became a hobby and then became my means of income. And then coaching became a hobby and then a form of income and then the two kind of merged and then I realized I the vision of my I you ask the question is like what is the vision of myself the vision of myself is somebody that's balanced and fulfilled if I I need to be inspired and I need to inspire and if I am inspired and I inspire others then I feel full and in sobriety I found that there is so much easier to be creative because sobriety in itself is creative. Like, Oh, I feel pain. What am I going to do? What do I normally do? That's creativity, right? Doing something you don't normally do. Well, normally I just get fucking hammered. Mm. Oh, I'll just feel pain. That's creative. Oh, what can I do with that pain? Oh, what can I do with that pain? And then think about all the things you can do with that pain. So it's, the vision of Taylor is healing, becoming balanced, inspiring, being inspired, living authentically, not out of fear of what the conventional wisdom says I should be doing, which according to conventional wisdom, I'm too old to be living the way that I live, which blows my mind. I'm 33 years old. What do you mean I'm too old? I didn't know there was a deadline. There's a deadline. You're feeling joy. You should have been feeling joy at 23. You're too old to be happy now. Better stop. <laughs> Whoever Better stop. tells you that guilty rubbish <laughs> needs to needs to have their head screwed on right. <laughs> there is a whole whole psychiatry suite waiting for for that that person because there is a lot of work to be done. Right? I agree. Wow, 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 wow. See, the writing and the creativity, it is an, the most amazing thing, isn't it? It is. Uh, I, when I came out of rehab, I was empty. I was completely empty. I was numb. I had no hobbies like you. I was only working 16 hours, 18 hours and drinking and being hungover. So I was busy, busy, busy. And I did the best. <laughs> I did that for, I don't know, decades, um, or at least a decade. That's for sure. So when it then came to who am I? What are my interests? I liked eating. Okay, fair enough. And I like, I'm German. So I like, and I had always fond memory of cheesecakes. So I thought, well, I'll learn how to bake cheesecakes. And then I, I like to write and research and I wrote it down and I wrote a cookbook about cheesecakes, which is probably the worst cookbook that was ever written because it's a doctor's encyclopedia of cheesecakes. And by the way, there are a few recipes in there as well. It's just, oh God, but it was creative. 
and it was I learned a bit of food photography. It was shocking by now my by my standards now, uh, because I've grown so much. But it was what it was then, and it was my first book. You know, it is as raw as it is. It was. I'm actually proud of it. And and then it just it just keeps going. This creativity, isn't it? It is just. It grows and grows and grows. It's like a weed. Uh, in the best possible sense. I just, I love it. I love it, love it. So it's gorgeous to, to hear you saying that. And and I would guess if you were to listen again to this interview in six months' time or 12 months' time, you're just shaking your head because by that time, your creative mind will have come up with so many fantastic ideas. And the the girl that just Taylor will have implemented them because she is a go-getter. She is she is experiencing now a, a, a rush of energy that you don't simply don't have when you're pissed or when you're hungover. God, oh you just <laughs> man. Oh. And the hangover, I was I was the type of hungover, and this is how I was taught by a professional that you don't show your hangover. You act like you're fine. <laughs> so who and was the professional? My father and my family. <laughs> we, don't, right. we don't act hungover. We sure as hell don't look hungover. There are rules. Again, there are rules. And if we feel hungover, we drink until the hangover goes away. I'm hair of a dog kind of girl, or I was. And that is a hard like physically exhausting cycle to maintain for over a decade. It is. You're just so <laughs> strong. Everything's strung out. You're just stretched. And, and you hate yourself. And it's a shame and guilt, isn't it? It's, that is such a such an acidy kind of eating your inside out. Ah, that is, that was the worst, the shame and guilt for me. These were the worst things. The anger, yeah, it was what it was. And the resentment, well, well, a lot of people did some not so nice things to me. Uh, That's cool, but it was the, the shame and guilt because I guess that was, when I really realized that much of what was happening was self-inflicted and self-maintained. So I think that was maybe therefore the shame and guilt was so strong and so painful in their own right to me. Man, 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 man. I know. (laughs) I know. And it's so, it's painful to me to think also, like when we're self-medicating from the things that were done to us, when we're self-medicating from the way that we feel from the things that were done to us, we go down this spiral that we don't even recognize. We don't even know that we're in it. And we don't know that it's a problem because it's normal. And we are surrounded by other people that are, it's also their normal. And we're in cultures where it's also normal. I was explaining American drinking culture to a guy that I'm dating who's from Morocco. And like when you go to school, you learn to wear condoms and to maybe have a rape whistle, but definitely to roll somebody on their side when they've been drinking at a party. So they don't, they don't suffocate in their own vomit. Like that's the culture that we're raised in. I like that. Those were the rules. Those were, and, and I think that that kind that cultural acceptance of, of overindulgence and of binge drinking and of body destroying is a problem. And it, and it goes far beyond just, Oh, they're just kids. If they're just, so? <laughs> they're just kids will be kids. Like, no, kids are fucking killing themselves and kids oh. are becoming adults and kids are, kids are having kids and kids are getting raped and kids are getting murdered because kids are just being kids. Get out of here. Drinking culture. Sorry, I went on a little rant. No, that is, no, no, please. It is, and that is something that I could never understand 
and I still can't understand. We had wild parties uh, at university, but these were beautiful parties. Yes, we drank like fishes, but there was respect to the girls and you would figure out it was a Saturday night party and on Sunday morning you would figure out well who has gone home with whom where and then you would meet all up on Sunday for breakfast and you had a fantastic time that was the kind of parties I went to and it was beautiful so that the the rape and the 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 physical violence and the abuse was never there. And I don't think that I went to, to I don't know, my, I didn't go to rich parties. I didn't go to poor parties. It was, we were normal people for crying out loud. And those guys with whom I went to the parties, I mean, we had parties, 70 people, 100 people. No, there was never police there because we suddenly turned it into a riot. No way in hell. So where the fuck does that come from? That is, is it, it, where did America suddenly wake up and say, hey, I think this is quite cool. Let's rape a few people or let's kill a few people. What the heck? Right. And I don't think, I don't think it's anyone just woke up. I think it's just, it's been that way. It's, it's just this. For how long do you think that has been like that? I think forever. I, I don't know a woman that hasn't been sexually assaulted in some way. And there, and and the way that it's defined has evolved over time, but I would define, and this is not that when I say I've been sexually assaulted, I mean like forcefully raped. But I would also define sexual assault as being locked in a room and having a man masturbate in front of me and grabbing my hand and putting my hand on his penis, which also happened multiple times when I was in university, and there was, and I was ashamed of it. And so, but I also know women who are my parents' age, my grandmother. So these are three generations of women and also women younger than me all have in that are American all have experienced similar, similar, if not worse. And it's, we're all from different places. I don't know. I don't know why it exists. I just know that it does. And I know that we are trained to be ashamed to talk about. We're trained to be ashamed to talk about it. Don't talk about it because it was an accident or because they were drinking or because whatever, like, or maybe it was, it was your, it was a misunderstanding. It was a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding. I I accidentally uh, penetrated you. Yes. That was. I I didn't mean to penetrate you. That's right. That's right. No, it's just, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. And your tears. No, no, I just thought you had something in your eyes. Fuck off. Honestly, fuck off. That is, no, I don't understand it and I, I hell don't accept it. And I so wish that, that, that we could find a solution to that. And I guess by living a life of integrity and humility and gratitude, I guess with that you can model a different kind of behavior. So yeah. for you to go out there and say, yeah, actually, I've had these experiences and to talk about it and to not hide it in a closet, but actually come out and say, this is what happened. This is how I dealt with it. And look, my life now, that makes you a beacon. That makes you a lighthouse in a night because that is where your strength shines and you have no idea who is seeing that light. So it's so beautiful that you share that, that you have the guts and the backbone to come out with the truth, warts and all, and say, yes, that was my past, but the past is certainly not my future. And now let's live a good life and let's live a beautiful life. And other people will hopefully follow you and learn from you. And that's, uh, I guess that's the reason that we two are sitting here and having that chat in on camera. And, you know, it is, it is such a necessary thing and such a beautiful thing 
for me, it's such a humbling thing that you have the, the, the trust in me that you answer my questions and that, that we two can bounce back and forth our convictions and our hopes and our dreams. How beautiful is that? Ah. Yeah. And what wow. an opportunity. I mean, it's such a, it's a gift that you've been in called in whatever way from within to, to create this platform to help lead other people. It's an, that is a gift. That is a service. So thank you. <laughs> and there's far more to come because I, I, it's it's actually quite addictive to meet people like you, uh, to to because you just ah, oh, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, it's very humbling. So thank you so much. I know there will be people who are very your story and struck by your energy. How can people get to know you better? Where can they look you up? Uh, what can they do to learn more about you? Um, they can follow me on Instagram, but I haven't, I haven't been very active on social media recently, but um, it's at living wonderful, W-A-N-D-E-R-F-U-L-L, wonderful, living wonderful. Um, on Instagram or Facebook. And I would probably just recommend looking at my website because they can contact me directly through there. Um, it's livingwonderful.com. And I will put links to that down there in the description of the podcast as well as of the YouTube video. So uh, it is it is beautiful. And I sense that your journey will continue to go through interesting on interesting paths. And I can't wait just to, to see where you come out. Uh, and I will certainly, I'm, I'm already following you. Um, and, and I will certainly uh, love to, to keep working with you. And maybe we do in the future, we do another, uh, another interview where we explore other parts from your past and other lessons that our viewers and our listeners can learn. I'd love yes. that. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Taylor, thank you so much for, for coming onto my show tonight. Well, tonight for me. Uh, to, <laughs> which time is it with you now? It's, it's 9.30 in 930. the morning. In the morning, <laughs> yes, isn't it amazing? It is. Uh, Like-minded people can find themselves nowadays so easily. So, therefore, if one of you guys are out there in Spain or in Russia, and you you still want to actually make contact with someone like Taylor, well, it is so easy, isn't it? Just get get the timing right, because otherwise, the three o'clock in the morning phone call is not so clever. <laughs> 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 thank you so much thank you for coming to my show I wish you all the best for the future and all of you guys out there have a fantastic time uh, learn from Taylor see if you can step back for a moment stop what you're doing press the pause button and then react I think that would be a beautiful, beautiful message and a little trick for your life to take home from this interview. But there's so many other things. So if you wanted to listen to it again on podcast or YouTube, you can. Look after yourself all. Bye. Bye.